And I came to cast fire on the earth, and I would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For now, for from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. See what I mean? <laughs> you may be seated. Thank you, Merle. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to be reminded of the goodness of who you are and what you have done for us through Jesus, and we are grateful that in this place we can come together and spur one another on to trust you and to examine what it looks like to live a life of faithfulness to you. We pray that you'd be with those who are going through real hard times, we think especially of Jim, struggling in the hospital. Think of those who have lost homes over the weekend down in Northern California. And we just pray that for each of us and the challenges you've put in our path, that you would give us the ability by your grace to rest wholly in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. Favorite holiday of ours where we celebrate work <laughs> by not working. Many of us, not all of us, some of us have to work. Plan for the future, that's the title of the message today, is Plan for the Future, and I want to talk a little bit about what Jesus had to say in regard to thinking about what lies ahead and how to plan for uh, the future. The text we're going to be in is Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59, and Merle read the first portion of that, and we'll get to the other second portion of that here in a moment. If you're thinking about planning for the future, you need to understand two elements of time to do that well. First of all, you have to understand what is going on today. You have to understand something about your current moment in, in contrast to or in light of what the future holds. So you might think, I have a, a preferred future. I have a particular thing I would like to do or see or experience. So therefore, knowing what I know about today, I have to do some things different, I have to do some uh, things better or whatever it might be to obtain or experience this preferred future. So what we have to understand is we're working through this passage and Jesus is telling us about planning for the future. We're not merely to understand the future, we have to also have insight into the current times that we're living in. And so let's look at verses 49 and through 53 of Luke chapter 12, plan for the future Jesus understands the times. Jesus understands the times he was living in, and he certainly understands the times we're living in. For example, there, there's a very well-known group of people. It's First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. The Bible tells us about a group of people. It's one of the tribes of Israel. It says this, Of Issachar, there were men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs, and of all their kinsmen under their command. 
So these men are well known. This is probably a verse you have heard many, many times before. The men of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what ought to be done. Pay attention to a couple of things you'll notice in this passage. They contributed to a cause, and let me explain in a minute what was going on, 200 men. 200 men from Issachar participated in what was going on. I'll leave it to you to read the rest of 1 Chronicles 12. If you get bored with this message, you can jump into 1 Chronicles 12 and read through there. Of the tribes of Israel, this was by far the smallest group of people. By far. Most were contributing tens of thousands of men. The men of Issachar contributed 200. What was going on? King Saul had died. His sons had died, some of them. And now there was a transfer of a power that was starting to occur. King David was now becoming king, at least of the tribes in the southern portion of the kingdom. And when you have this great transfer of power from one king to another, one king who was of the tribe of Benjamin, King Saul, another king who was of the tribe of Judah, King David, there was a great risk of civil war. In fact, the general at that time, King Saul's general, Abner, was trying to get one of King Saul's sons to continue to reign over the nation of Israel. And now we have all these tribes coming together to begin to usher in the rule of King David because King David had been anointed by the prophet Samuel. And somebody might have been in there and they might have said something like this. What do you guys think we ought to do? I'm sure they would have said it just like that, but in Hebrew it sounds much more interesting. Around here, what, anybody know what we ought to do? And then the tribe of Issachar shows up. What do, they do? what do they say? We understand exactly what is going on, and we know precisely what ought to be done. Considering what ought to be and considering what is, we can tell you precisely what ought to be. That being the case, this means Issachar, with their small numbers, was bringing the most to the party. Even though they had a small number of people, to have a group of people who knew what ought to be done is critically important. Why is this important? Because there's a lot of things in that, when they're making that decision, should David be king or should uh, one of King Saul's sons be king? You have to wonder, will there be civil war? Will more people die? What's good for the economy? What's good for our relationship with God? There's all kinds of things the people of Issachar can come in and say, you know what, here's what ought to be done. And we'll tell you what ought to be done. King David should be king. Issachar understood the times that David was to be king and not the family of Saul. And they understood that that was important because they knew what was going on, not merely what we wish could be. The people of Israel might have said, well, what would be great is if there was no conflict and there was never any problems and there was never any concern, and there was never any infighting, and there was never any civil war. And I can imagine the people of Issachar saying, you can wish for stuff all day long, that doesn't get anything done. We'll tell you what needs to happen. We need to make King David king over Israel. Jesus is going to let us know exactly what is going on. So go back to Luke chapter 12, verse 49, and let's look at what Jesus understood about the times. Jesus says this in verses 49 and 50. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus came to die. And I know we're going through the book of Luke. I don't want to give away the end. 
But Jesus dies near the end. It's not the last thing he does, but Jesus dies at the end. Jesus is saying, look, I came here to die. And in particular, we're going to discover he came to bring salvation from sin exclusively to humankind through his death and resurrection. Jesus intends through his death and resurrection to provide the only means of peace with God for people. That only means of peace with God for people is through Jesus, sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. And he is saying, I have a baptism to be baptized with. I have to go and get this done, and it's got to be done. He knew exactly what the times required. There's a world full of sinners. They need the opportunity for a relationship with God through forgiveness. And so Jesus obeys the Father and finishes the work he intends to do. So Jesus' work is salvation, yet his work of salvation brings division and judgment. Are you struggling with that a little bit? Jesus comes to bring salvation and grace and mercy and forgiveness, but Jesus' work to bring salvation also brings judgment. How is that possible? If Jesus is coming with grace and mercy and forgiveness, how could his work of salvation bring division and judgment? And the reality is this, is what I said earlier. Jesus is providing the only way to peace with God through his sacrifice and resurrection. So what if you want peace with God through another means? Maybe you want peace with God through faith in your ability to be good. Then, then what does that do with Jesus? You don't need Jesus because you have your ability to be good. And this has been tried ever since people have been trying to have a relationship with God. People say, well, I don't need Jesus. I mean, he's great. But you know what? I don't think I need somebody to die for me. I'm not that bad. And we'd make brilliant theological arguments for that. Here's the most common one. We've, I'm not Hitler. So this is how you're going to get into heaven. You're going to step up to the pearly gates, and God's going to say, why should I let you into heaven? And say, well, I'm not Hitler. And the answer is, that's literally everybody except for the one guy. <laughs> like, that's your theological framework. So that's kind of our argument. I'm not bad enough to need somebody to die for me. And so immediately, Jesus' work has created division. If you don't think you need Jesus' death, he is saying the only way to have a relationship with God is through his death. Jesus' work is a work of salvation. It brings judgment on those who reject it. Trust Jesus means we receive that forgiveness by faith, and we are saved from our sin and saved from death and anticipate life with God forever. If we reject the work of Jesus, we experience judgment from God because we reject the Lamb of God. The Bible makes it quite clear, and especially Luke in particular, there is no middle ground on Jesus. There is either accept him as Lord and King and Savior, forgiver of our souls through his death on the cross, or reject him and experience condemnation. This is where Jesus, because of his work of salvation, creates some sense of division. Look with me, a familiar verse. I would just want to look at it really quickly because it seems so negative. Let's get positive for a minute, right? Let's get warmed up. John 3.16. Has anybody heard this verse? <laughs> Football season has started. We're about to be reminded of it every Sunday. It's that one guy in the end zone with John 3.16. I just wish each year they would come up with another verse. Kind of mix it up a little bit. 
you know, maybe Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 this year. John 3, 16, 17, and 18 reads like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, that's fantastic. I love that verse. The Bible is quite clear. Jesus came to save people from their sin. Uh, everybody has rebelled against God, and the, the result of rebelling against God is we no longer have relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you are by definition dead or dying or both. The only way to have life is to have meaningful relationship with God who is the source of our life, and in order to have a relationship with God, we cannot have any sin. In order to get rid of our sin, we need Jesus to handle it through his death and resurrection. So Jesus came to provide salvation from our sin. Let's look at verse 17 of John 3. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Did God send, God the Father send God the Son to condemn the world? It just says no. Okay, so you're a little bashful, a little worried. I don't want to get the wrong answer. Okay. Did God, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Who is the world saved through? Jesus. Who else? No one. No other means. Only Jesus. Verse 18. Here's what gets a little dicey. None of us remember John 3, 18 in Awana. Here we go. Not, nothing gets Awana. Simmer down, Awana, folks. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Yes! That's fantastic! But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So John 3.16, he says, look, Jesus came to save sinners. I don't want Jesus. Then you're condemned. The condemnation is already occurring. To reject the Lamb of God is to experience the condemnation of God. Jesus came to save, but to reject Jesus and say, I'll come up with some other way to get into heaven or to say I don't need Jesus. I'm a sinner, but not that bad of a sinner. To reject the work of Christ is to experience condemnation. John chapter 12, verses 44 through 48 says it this way. Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Excuse me. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. See, Jesus agrees with the Father. The Father and the Son are always in agreement, always working together. The Father did not send the Son to bring condemnation. And Jesus says, I didn't come to judge. And if you reject, Jesus says this. This is kind of strange to read, but wait for it. Jesus says, listen, you reject my words. I'm not here to judge you. It's not my job right now. Read verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not my receive, receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So Jesus is not saying there won't be a judge. He, say, he just understands the times. The times for Jesus. I am here to provide salvation. 
I'm here to provide the means for you to experience relationship with God by having your sins forgiven by simply trusting the work of Jesus on the cross. But there's no passivity here. To accept Christ by faith is to receive forgiveness, to say, thank you, Jesus, but I got a lot of needs in my life and forgiveness isn't one of them, is to experience condemnation. And maybe you've rejected Jesus and say it didn't cause any problems for me. And Jesus is saying, the day of the problem is not today. When is the day of the problem? That day. So understanding, to plan for the future means to understand the times. And Jesus is saying the time today for each of us is to figure out, do I need Jesus to forgive me? Jesus' purpose is to save, and you, in fact, as an individual, have the opportunity and ability to reject Jesus. Let's go back to Luke, 50, Luke chapter 12, if you don't mind. As you're turning over there, I wanted to let you know that um, the technical issues we had with the clock last week have been fixed. And, uh, and that will have absolutely no impact whatsoever on the length of the sermon. But I wanted you to know that once again, I will be feeling bad about the sermon going too long. Last week, I didn't feel bad. There was no clock to remind me I was going too long. Luke chapter 12, verses 51 and 52. Do you think I have come to give peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. See, some people in Jesus' time and some people today say, well, Jesus showed up, died on the cross, rose from the dead, so therefore, all the world is a bed of roses. Everything is going hunky-dory, and if your life is not going hunky-dory like my life is going, then something's wrong with you because Jesus makes everything fantastic. All the problems of the world go away. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? You're talking about the kingdom of heaven to come. Let's talk about today. Get a room full of people, put 100 people into a room, present the gospel, some of those people get saved, some of those people reject Jesus, and now we've got a room divided. Because now we've got some people who say, I need forgiveness of sin, and then a group of people saying, I don't need forgiveness of sin, and you guys are kooks. And now the room is divided, and Jesus says, what is today? Today is the day of, of division where the gospel is proclaimed and 100% of people respond to the gospel. It is either accepted or it is rejected. But everybody responds to the gospel. Either you accept Jesus as your savior through faith or you reject him and the result is division. Because what we want is a world of peace, and God says, I'm going to give you a world of peace the only way peace can be accomplished. The only way peace can be accomplished is if the world, the kingdom, is filled with people who are at peace with God. And as long as we live in a world where some are at peace with God and some aren't, and we live in the tension of not home yet, there will be division. And Jesus wants to understand what day it is. It's, we're not home yet, are we? This is not heaven. Some of you are like, really? I had no idea. <laughs> we're not home yet. The result will be division over Jesus. Plan for the future and understand the times. And Jesus says, don't have your view 
of what is coming to the kingdom of God be put into full force yet because heaven hasn't occurred yet. We still deal with the, the, the burden of remaining sin. We still deal with the reality that not, not everyone accepts and receives Jesus. And we recognize that the rejection of Jesus creates great division within our world, and if we're honest, especially around the holidays, even in our homes. What are we told? Don't talk about politics or religion. Because they cause division. Because we know this. Jesus causes division. Now is the time for each, one of us, each of us as individuals to evaluate our opportunity. Right now, we have the opportunity to either accept Jesus by faith for forgiveness or reject him and pursue our forgiveness on our own. Look at verses 53 and 54. From now on in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two. Two against three. They will be divided. Father against son. Son against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, we could imagine some of these relationships just normally strained in, in our interactions with various family members. You might have a division within your family. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with that guy's not, wrong, not right. And when he apologizes, we'll get along again. This is even more so back in the first century where many of the relationships described here would have been living in very close quarters. So your mother-in-law may be sharing meals with you each and every morning, even if you have children in the home. And so these are relationships that you're experiencing day in and day out, and you could imagine someone who comes home to their extended family and says, I have found Christ, and some in that home might also find Christ, but others might not, and it will create even division within the home. Here's the thing I just want you to think about as you think about your relationship with Christ before we move into talking about the future. What is your expectation about what it means to live as a believer today? Let me, let me just say what I'm thinking. And you're saying, and you haven't been so far. Here we go. Many of us find Christ and experience profound benefit and obviously, there are theological benefits that are profound. We experience redemption, the renewal of our soul, relationship with God, uh, the dropping away of sin and shame, this sense of right relationship with God. These are his benefits. But even more than that, we might experience tangible benefits in our life. We might experience uh, renewed relationships with some where relationships have fallen away. We might, because of the changes of Christ in our life, we might experience some sense of blessing and success in our vocation. We might experience, because of a, a reworking of the day in and day out of our life, some achievement of respectability and reputation. Now suddenly in Christ, we might be experiencing the enjoyment of this world we hadn't experienced before. And we might be lulled into thinking that we get saved to experience the benefit of his blessing here. And Jesus is saying, are you willing to endure the separation that is normal with following Christ? We don't do ourselves a great service to our spiritual life when we assume that when we get saved, heaven starts now. 
Heaven starts then. And the normal, uh, the normal operation of the Christian life is one where day in and day out, we have to struggle with the division that occurs. We will struggle with the sacrifice it entails. We have to struggle with the reality there might be friends and family who reject us because of Christ. That those who might have been people we would uh, consider close friends and family, that now that Christ is moving in our lives in a profound way, they might want to set us aside. And the question Jesus is just simply asking is, will you still take Jesus if it means division? Now, I am grateful that we live in a place where this isn't fundamental to our experience, but there are Christians all over the world that this is a fundamental reality to experiencing faith in Christ. A decision has to be made. Do I pursue Christ or still have family relationship connections? Some will reject us when we claim Christ. This is the reality, and the question Jesus wants us to ponder, if we're going to be like the men of Issachar, understanding the times, is Jesus still worth it for you? I would pray that our eyes would be open to see he is, but also know the division that comes when we pursue Christ and Christ alone. Jesus and his followers uh, endured great trial and difficulty, and uh, Jesus now in the second half of this section wants to contrast Jesus and his followers who understand the times and what the future holds, and is going to contrast those with hypocrites, or we might call them fools, that is, those who ignore the distant future and live only for today for ourselves. So, plan for the future, Jesus understands the time. Secondly, beginning in verse 54, fools ignore the future. Let me read verses 54 through 59 Here we go. Jesus said this to the crowds. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. When you see a south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourself what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you into the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer will put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Plan for the future. Fools ignore the future. Some time ago, I was on a business trip to Phoenix, Arizona. I was working for a company. I was there with a co-worker and he and I decided to go out to dinner that night. We were done with our meetings. We had meetings again the next day, and, and he and I both enjoyed sushi. I don't know if you enjoy sushi. I do. There are two foods in this world that the more I eat of them, the hungrier I get. One is Little Caesar's pizza. I can't explain it. Okay, I can't explain it, but the more, the more I eat of that stuff, which isn't a lot, hungrier I get. And sushi is the same thing. No matter how much I eat, I always think, you know what? I think we could have a little more. So we go to this sushi joint, really good sushi place near Scottsdale, and what they do is you, you say, bring out some of this, some of this uh, whatnots and stuff. And you got little sheets you fill out. So me and my buddy, what we would do is they would bring out the two trays, we'd each order a tray, and we would share them. And, and while we were eating these two trays, we're filling out the sheet. Have you done this before? You fill out the sheet, and we lay it down. So when they come again, it's ready to go. Let's just keep this going. 
So we let the waitress know. We got a system here. When you come back to check on these, these are going to be gone. We want you carrying something and placing that in front of us. And so we just started eating it, and we ate an unholy amount of sushi. It was really, really good. And uh, the company I worked for provided an allowance for your, your evening meals. That was, yeah, you're working, and so they, and they bring the bill. Our allowance was not coming close to handling this bill. <laughs> this bill came out, and we said, well, wow, okay, we were pretty hungry. That was, that's a lot of sushi. Holy cow. And, uh, and so I acted like I had to use the restroom and left Ken with the... No, I'm kidding. I didn't do it. It's terrible. Here's the thing. I know it's a ridiculous uh, illustration, but here's the point. When you're eating the sushi, you don't care what the bill is. You don't care what it is. Just bring more. Just keep it coming. And then when you get to the end and the bill shows up and you go, man, I was a fool. It was, it was good, but holy cow, it wasn't that good. How am I going to explain this uh, to my wife, Right? Here's what happens. Fools live only for today, and they ignore the future where they're going to have to settle up. That's foolish. Fools live only for today, and they ignore the future where they're going to have to settle up. Verse 54, Jesus spoke to the crowds. Now, in Luke, crowds are sometimes just a big group of people. Crowds are sometimes a negative in terms of he wasn't pursuing to be influenced by the masses around him. And in this case, crowds is actually a real negative term where he assumed these crowds are attracted to him not for his spiritual benefit, but instead for what he can provide merely in this moment. Healing, food, a sense of leadership during a time of great uh, social upheaval. And so you have these crowds coming around him, and, and Jesus is equating these crowds with fools who pursue Jesus only for momentary benefit. Jesus says the time is obvious. Because of what we know about our sin today, we have to plan for our future. In the future, we will have to settle up with God. And in order to have that day already settled up, we have to make peace with God today. Jesus uses this illustration for these crowds in verses 54 and 55. When you see the weather changing, you know what to do about it. When you see the weather changing, you make your plans. And it would be normal if they saw a cloud over the Mediterranean Sea, much like Elijah did on Mount Carmel. When you see a cloud over the sea, you say, well, I know what's going to happen here. In about six hours, there's going to be rain. And then if if wind was coming out of the south, they would know, okay, we know that's where the heat comes from, and everything's going to, might be time to put the plow and the oxen away and get inside and cool off. And what people would do is they would look and understand what the, what the weather held, and they would make their plans. Yesterday, we woke up, and there was quite a bit of smoke in the valley. And some of us may have said, it's smoky here, but I don't think there's any smoke at Lake of the Woods. So I'm going to look out and say, it's smoky. I'm going to drive. I'm going to drive 45 minutes. I can get out of the smoke for a bit. Or drive up to Roseburg and get out of the smoke for the bit. And it, doesn't that make sense? Okay, I see what's happening, and so I adjust my plans. The the agricultural culture there would have said, well, if it's raining, I'm not going to want to try and bring in my harvest when it's raining because I need my grain to be dry in order to properly thresh. So if I see rain coming, I might hustle and get, get harvest done. Or I might say, you know what, I'm going to have to just wait and let the grain dry out and harvest after the rain has come. So plans would be made, and I would say, it doesn't matter what I want. The weather is telling me what ought to be. And Jesus is saying, this makes perfect sense. You're willing to give up what you want based on what you see in the sky. You're willing to change your plans for today 
knowing what the weather will do to your day. However, I'm telling you what the future holds in your relationship with God, and you refuse to budge up even a moment. Gee, I tell you what the future holds. You're going to have to settle up with God one day, and you're saying, you know, I think I'm good. Whereas if Jesus said, you know, it's going to start raining, you'd say, we should get undercover. Why, why would you adjust so dramatically your day for the weather? And you won't even make the, the smallest adjustment, adjustment in your life when you see what God has in store for you in the future. We won't change for God because that day is way in the future. It's never coming. We want to live for ourselves. We want to live for today. And in fact, the crowds here are much like us. They want to live for themselves and live for today and still be considered religious. If I go to church or if I give a little bit of money or if I volunteer at the, at the soup kitchen, well, I can settle my religious duties over here and then I get the whole rest of my life to do whatever I want. That's exactly how they live. That's how we like to live. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The question is, knowing what the future holds, are you willing to have your day today adjusted? Look at verses 57, or verse 56, I'm sorry. You hypocrites. I like saying that in church. <laughs> you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? How is it that you can figure out the weather, but you can't figure out through your scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit in your own heart what it means to be ready for the return of the Lord one day? Verses 57 and 58. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. He makes a comparison uh, here to a situation where you owe somebody money. Here's what would happen. You owe somebody a bunch of money, and he comes up to you and says, give me my money. And you say, I don't want to. I don't have it, which means you have it. You just don't want to give it to him. He says, tell you what, let's go to the magistrate. Let's have him decide where, who ought to do what. And so then you appear before the magistrate, and the magistrate judges in favor of the one you owe money to, he will hand you over to the officer who may put you in prison. And all Jesus wants us to do here is do the math. Is it easier to make money to pay off a debt in prison or out? Where is it easier to earn money to pay off a debt? Out of, okay, good, thank you, Howard. Howard's here. Nobody wanted to say it because Howard's worried people that, will think you have experience with this. No, really, it's hard to earn money in, in prison. And uh, you know, all you get paid there is cigarettes. What are you going to buy with cigarettes? Okay. And that's what Jesus is saying. A day is coming where prison, you, don't, you no longer have the opportunity to pay back your debt. When is the most uh, appropriate time to handle your debt? Right now. Not tomorrow. Not later this afternoon. Right now. Jesus is saying a day is coming where you stand before the magistrate and that day the debt will be called. You don't know when that day will be, but you will not be able to repay it then. The only way to have this properly addressed is understand today. What's today? I owe God my soul because of my rebellion. And I will gladly change my plans if rain's coming. Will I look to the future? The Bible is telling me a day is coming where my debt will be called. When my willing today to change my plans to properly handle what's coming. 
and put my faith in Christ, recognizing he's going to change my life from the inside out. Jesus are calling these folks hypocrites. Why don't you judge for yourself what the right thing to do is? In this case of the magistrate, the right thing to do is not complicated. The reason we don't want to submit to the reality of who Christ is is because we know if Jesus takes over, things will change. My life will no longer be about me. It will no longer be about pursuing my own interests. It will no longer be about pursuing my own uh, pleasures and satisfactions. It will be about pleasing God who has saved my soul. Don't wait. Judgment will come, and it will be swift. Look at verse 59. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. That's a, a verse of judgment, condemnation. You get out of judgment when you've paid the last penny. The problem is, how long does it take to pay an eternal debt? It takes forever. And just like that person who goes into prison, he's never going to be able to earn enough money in prison to pay back a debt in prison. The day to settle up your debt is not that day. The day to settle up is now. It is foolish to think you can settle up with God on that day. The only time to settle up with God is today. Plan for the future. Jesus understands today. I have come, Jesus said, to provide for you reconciliation and relationship with God through faith in me, understanding that by putting your faith in Christ for forgiveness, this by its very nature creates division between you and those who have rejected him. I should say this just as an aside, um, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I promise, Howard. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just picking on you. Sometimes today, and this is just, this is off script. They'll get me in trouble. Sometimes today we think um, our faith, people are rejecting us because of our faith in Christ, and people are rejecting us because we're mean. Those are two different things. We understand this. That, you know, sometimes uh, people don't get along with us, and we say, well, see, they've rejected me because I'm a Christian. No, it's just you're rude. Um, you know, the Bible says it. If you're going to be thrown into prison, be thrown into prison for your faith, not because you're a lawbreaker. And so we aren't just simply saying we relish having people reject us. But we do have to recognize that Jesus' claims for salvation are exclusive. Jesus' claims for salvation. There is no other way to receive forgiveness of sins other than Jesus Christ himself. All other ways are false and lead to condemnation. And that does, in fact, create division. The time to settle up with Christ is even now. All right, a couple of things to think about, and then we'll, then we'll close. Um, first off, let me read this verse again. It's really my favorite verse in this section, verse 50 of Luke 12. I have a baptism to be baptized with. How great is my distress until it is completed. That word there, distress, there's a number of, of things about it. Number one, that distress, number one, there was a sense of foreboding, meaning he knew it would be suffering. Physical suffering, but I might suggest more importantly, spiritual suffering. So there was a sense of distress in terms of, you know, he didn't want to suffer. I mean, he did because he knew that was the will of God, but nobody relishes suffering. But there was also, I think, more so here, this sense, not of just distress that I don't want to hurt, I don't want to experience spiritual rejection, uh, really this distress is, uh, have you ever had something you just want to get it done? He's like, I just want to get there and get it. When's the best time to get a thing done? 
My kids get tired of hearing this. When's the best time of getting something done? Right now, as soon as it can be done. And this is sort of the sense of Jesus, is he's saying, man, you know, I came here to save the world. I came here to give my life. And man, I, I'm chomping at the bit. I want to get it done. Man, now, the timing was important. He was going to wait until the father uh, had that lined out. But in, in this moment, he said, I want to press in to get this done. Here's what we need to understand about Jesus in terms of how we operated. He fully understood what needed to be done, even more so than the men of Issachar, obviously. He looked forward the glory he was going to experience, obviously, in completing the work of God. He was anticipating rising from the dead and ascending to heaven and having the name that is above every other name. So Jesus here shows us he's our model. Is, is we anticipate what is God doing in our lives and, and, and what does it look like for me today to be a, a faithful believer to Jesus? So you might think of a number of different things about what does it mean for you in your life to be a faithful believer in Jesus. I can pick on just a couple of things, if you don't mind. Number one, being a faithful believer of Jesus typically, I'm trying to be nice, means not sinning. And, and I said it that way on purpose. I didn't say sin less. Being a faithful follower of believer, a follower of Jesus means not sinning. I, I think it was the Apostle John in 1 John. I write to these things so that you will sin a little bit less than you do. I, I can't, did I quote that right? I get, I get my word. It's been a while since I was in Awana. Awana starts Wednesday. I write these, to you, these things to you so that you might not sin. Okay, anybody, anybody got that figured out? Okay, it went quiet there. Okay, I fully understand what needs to be done. Uh, what, what needs to happen in my life? I need the holiness of Christ to work itself out in my heart, and it's not done yet. And did I wake up this week with that kind of distress, like Jesus, that kind of anticipation? What's it going to take this week? What's it going to take? What kind of accountability do I need? What kind of structures need to happen in my life? What kind of approach? What kind of things in my life am I pretending aren't sin? And I'm trying to be okay with it, and I know I shouldn't be. So it's this kind of vigilance and attention and intention to say, what does Jesus look like in my life today? I know a day is coming. It's that day. So since I know that day is coming, what does today look like? And I know we all struggle with sin in many ways. King Solomon said, there isn't one of us who doesn't sin. But what's wrong with waking up in the morning and, and having this kind of intention like our Savior had? What does it mean today to do the will of the Father? And to say no to the things that aren't the will of the Father. Do we wake up that way? If many of us not. What needs to be done today? What does it mean for me today to engage with Christ in his word? What does it mean today for me to engage the will of God in the lives of others through fervent prayer? What does it mean to set aside my own list of please, lords, and instead pick up someone else's list of please, lords, and pray for others? What, what are these things? How do, how do I approach my Christian life? As, as the reformers have said, the ordinary means of grace. It sounds boring, but it just changes the world. When we wake up in the morning and say, what does it mean to say no to sin, to say yes to his word, and to be devoted to my, my fellow brothers and sisters to pray for them? Jesus is our great example. And these aren't mundane things. These are just simply the ways in which God has changed the world. Okay, next thing. That was just one thing. You think? Yeah, and I got sick. No, I just got a couple. 
Um, I kind of mentioned this already. I just want to remind us of this. Um, don't mistake the experience of redemption today, which is, which is the glory of God in our lives. Don't mistake, though, the, re- the redemption in our life today with the glory of Jesus' kingdom that is not yet fully experienced. There is a day when heaven's going to happen, kingdom of God. It's going to be a great party. I love uh, what Seth talked about. We're going to have great food, great drink. It's going to be great. It's not today yet. Maybe after the service. We aren't home yet. And so when we engage with the world around us and the brokenness of the world around us and the, and the realities of fractured relationships, the realities of broken bodies, the realities of systems of power and influence that are going all kinds of sideways, all of these things cause us to wonder what's wrong. We look at our scripture and say, oh, it just reminds us we're not home yet. Jesus is exclusive, and when we come to people and remind them that the only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus, we have to recognize we're not home yet, and that may create division. All right, last thing, and then we're done. Uh, I'll just read it. We don't want to settle up with God now because it means we might have to change our plans. I just want to remind us what Jesus' message to us. We change our plans all the time for the weather. We change our plans all the time for the weather. You get on the Facebook, you look up the weather guy's page, you look at what's coming, and you make your plans. You open up your Bible, you read it, and you say, gee, that would have been really good for Bill. <laughs> right? Boy, maybe I, should, maybe I should text this in a passive-aggressive way. Hey, read this inspiring verse today. Maybe he'll get it. You know, so we change all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons. And then we read the Word of God, and, it, and we might have to do something different in our lives. And we immediately start coming up with reasons why it doesn't apply to us. And all Jesus is coming to us to say, plan for the future. Understand what today is. Today is the day to live. Today is the only day we can live by faith in Christ. Once we go to heaven, we're going we're gonna to live with our eyes on him. Today is the day. What does it mean as believers for our life to be conformed to that day? Not to our plans, but to, to that day. And if you're not a believer yet, if you've never put your faith in Christ, the day of salvation is today. We get no more. It's today. God, we thank you for the kindness you have shown us in Jesus that you knew exactly what we needed and you sent a Savior to provide forgiveness of our sins. God, I think we ought to admit as believers, so much of our Christian life has been spent trying to figure out how to fit Jesus into our lives. And Lord, we would pray that in this moment, understanding today and understanding the future, that we would stop trying to understand how Jesus fits into our life and instead recognize that it is by your grace you have let our lives fit into Christ. God, we change our plans for all kinds of different things. God, would you, by your Spirit, convict us of those places we need to to change because Jesus calls us to a new life in him. But God, in this moment, I, I pray especially for those who are here who know they don't have a relationship with God through Christ. I would pray in this moment they would stop putting that off. Stop coming up with the hypocritical excuses. 
and recognize what the Holy Spirit is making known in their own heart even now. That they need forgiveness from Jesus through faith. And I pray even in this moment of quietness that they would put their faith in him for salvation. Father, we know that we don't know when you're going to return. As we remembered last week, that is going to be at a day we don't expect. Father, would you allow us by your spirit to live as those who live today with faithful expectation of your return and have today marked with the hope and the recognition that that day is coming soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up with us and we'll close with a song.